arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. You wanted me to get out unfazed. You should have left me alone. Should have left me alone. And now you're dead. 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 If Sue Lee, or whoever's sending this message, is trying to scare Mary Ellen, she did a very good job. I don't know about you, but if I got this message, I'd bring my kids as far away from Sue Lee as possible. But Mary Ellen is raging over a possible affair between Sue Lee and her husband. When Mary Ellen and her family go out, she gets a call saying that Sue Lee's car is parked in her driveway. The police won't go after her and know where they continue investigating. She confronts Sue Lee directly. She wants to know why Sue Lee's perfume, Night Sin, was in her shower. She gets pushed down and then called all sorts of names and intimate details about her husband and Sue Lee. Kel is working on another lead, but suspicions are later transformed into grief. Kel is going to pursue all the leads about Sue Lee and some lover from nine years ago. Once again, Kel hears the same story about Sue Lee and older men. Episode 2 Beach House by Robert P. Fitton begins now. Chapter 8. The voicemail downloaded on her phone. She maneuvered the Escalade along Binghamton Beach Road, slowing the car occasionally for sunbathers moving behind the orange and white crosswalk barrels. Wilma agreed to pick up the kids and bring them over to her house till Mary Ellen returned. Unable to get Kel at his trailer, her anger festered and overflowed. She swung away from the beach, pumping the brakes when she took the turn too wide. Letting Sue Lee shake her inner being was something she could no longer tolerate, nor would she let this vamp pursue her husband. On the hill to her left, the gray-paneled Barnacle Bills with its front bubble dining area and outside blue umbrellas on the terrace materialized behind the trees. Still enraged, she only paused at the stop sign and continued rapidly along the telephone poles and marshes. She was forced to stop on Conclave Road before she scooted up the hill. She coasted to a stop in a space next to the building as she panned the parking lot for the orange Mustang. She exited the vehicle with the voicemail safely ensconced on her phone. Maybe if she hadn't sent Tony here for pizzas, none of this would have happened. A tall man with dyed hair and a thin mustache watched the TV monitor. Mary Ellen leaned over the bar. Excuse me, I want to speak with Sue Lee. The man smiled at something on the monitor and then swung his eyes toward her. Yes, I wish to speak with Sue Lee. Not here. Where is she? He continued to watch the show. Took a few days off. Where does she live? Asked Mary Ellen, looking down at her phone. Sue Lee? Right. Northgate condos, you take Route 16. I know where they are, said Mary Ellen, thinking back to the large green and gold sign in the woods north of town. What number? 42B. She started to the door but stopped and wandered back to the bar. 
You know a guy named Roger Trombley? Huh? Roger Trombley. Do you know who he is? No. How about Artie Rankin? No. A busboy pouring water about 20 feet away from the restaurant tables held a silver water pitcher and stared at her. He swallowed once and then filled the next glass, but kept his back to her and did not look at her again. She turned back to the man behind the bar. What about Tony Fresco? Yeah, Fresco, he comes in here for pizza every now and then. Works in Philadelphia. You wouldn't be Mrs. Fresco, would you? Mary Ellen produced a fixed smile and held up her wedding ring. Aha! Listen, I won't get in the middle of anything between you and Sue Lee. She having an affair with my husband? Who knows? Sue Lee flirts with everyone. But did they... I don't know nothing. You talk to Sue Lee. Capiche? Capiche. Mary Ellen thought about using the payphone in the front lobby instead of her own phone, but retreated to the car. Once behind the wheel, her emotions charged again, and she swung the car around in a huge circle, nearly hitting a new Mercedes. The downtown buildings temporarily blocked Hazleton in the distance, and the wooded hill overshadowed the rural roads back to the state highway. Her rage was directed at Sue Lee in some weird way she had forgiven Tony. In the middle of business out in Seattle, he probably had forgotten the Viper. She waited at the Donnelly's Connor traffic light and then shot up the state highway away from town. Bringing up Rankin and Trombley gained her nothing. She rehearsed her line to Sue Lee exactly. Stay away from my husband or I'll call the cops. Sue Lee would not welcome the cops peering into her history and Mary Ellen believed that something else lurked in her past or perhaps an incident that triggered Sue Lee's behavior. Mary Ellen rapped a second time on the metal condo door. Her leg muscles were weak and she wrung her hands. She tried to pick a title for that weird medley, piping into her voicemail. Death was the only word that bounced through her head as she pounded louder now. Open up this damn door! Open up, you slut! She turned away and kicked the hall door, burst outside and stomped around the building. At the sliders, she peered through the opening drapes into a darkened apartment with black furniture on a stark white rug. Other chrome-framed black leather chairs added to the modern decor. She grabbed a wide concrete patio brick but slowly lowered the brick and knocked her knuckles on the glass. Damn you! Damn you! With her teeth clamped, Mary Ellen rushed back to the Escalade. She swung open the door, shaking the car as she hopped inside. With her hand squeezed around the steering wheel, she pushed her head forward. Somehow she needed to find this woman. I'll fix you, you little slut. Mary Ellen played back the voicemail through her car speakers, and the song reverberated throughout the car. You never cared about the night scene. You wanted me to get out on the face. You should have left me alone. should have left me alone. And now you're dead. Now you're dead. You never cared about the night scene. You wanted me to get out on the face. You should have left me alone. Should have left me alone. And now you're dead. 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 Then she punched in Sue Lee's number, programmed from earlier this morning. Sue Lee's name never came up on the display. When the line rang, she looked back at the white condo drapes 30 feet away. The ringing stopped and a smooth, clear voice filled the cell phone. 
The voicemail beeped. She played back her own voicemail message. You never cared about the night scene. You wanted me to get out on the face. You should have left me alone. should have left me alone. And now you're dead. Now you're dead. You never cared about the night scene. You wanted me to get out on the face. You should have left me alone. You should have left me alone. And now you're dead. 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 Mary Ellen navigated the escalator around the building. A brief smile touched her face, and for a moment she had gained a slight revenge and satisfaction. Chapter 9 Kel, wearing his light blue shirt and navy pants, peered around the corner of the garage. Mary Ellen set down the newspaper and stood. Danny turned up the music next to the waiting pool, and he and his friend leaped in the main pool. After the resulting water explosion, Cal scooted back along the cement. Angie wiped the water droplets from her bathing suit and turned to her mother. Do they have to do that, Mom? Danny, cool the cannonballs! She walked along the edge of the pool, still confident about her triumph with Sue Lee's voicemail. And turn down that music. In the sunlight, Kel's steely hair was grayer, and he squinted his lacy green eyes. Mary Ellen. I thought you left town, Kel. I did. Oh? He escorted her back to the glass table. I, uh, made some calls. Calls? Why? He sat in one of the soft final chairs, and she held the plastic lemonade pitcher. Drink? Yeah, sure. She poured the pink pulp liquid into a tall, clear glass and slid it across the patio table. I had a little excitement myself, but, uh, I took care of it. Kel smacked his lips. Yeah? What happened? She called my voicemail, she did. Mary Ellen's upper lip curled, and she enjoyed grimacing. Well, what did she say? Kel set the drink on the glass table. He looked concerned. Nothing. Here's what she did, said Mary Ellen. She sat on the opposite chair, leaned toward Kel, and lowered her voice. She puts on this song on my machine, this macabre song. How do you know it was her? Oh, it was her. It had jazz music in the background, and the song went like this. You never cared about the night scene. You wanted me to get out unfazed. Should have left me alone. Should have left me alone. And now you're dead. And now you're dead. And it just kept repeating. Well, that's bizarre. I want to hear that. Oh, it's right here on my phone. Mary Ellen held up the phone and pushed the button. You never cared about the night scene. You wanted me to get out on the face. You should have left me alone. should have left me alone. And now you're dead. Now you're dead. You never cared about the night scene. You wanted me to get out on the face. You should have left me alone. Should have left me alone. And now you're dead. 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 Cal looked as if he had just eaten a plate of rancid food as he shook his head and tightened his face into a mass of wrinkles. We're dealing with some nutcase here. Well, I fixed her, said Mary Ellen, sitting up straight. I don't understand. I tried to find her at the restaurant. 
Look, Mary Ellen, I told you, I, I don't think it's a good idea that you're talking to her. Did she admit to seeing Tony? Well, she wasn't at work. She's taking some time off. Well, good. He picked up the lemonade. So I went over to her apartment. You what? Kel held the glass between the table and his mouth. Not a good idea, and I'll tell you why. Don't worry, she wasn't there. So I used my cell phone and I piped it right back at her. She picked up her own glass, smiled, and sipped the cool ice into her mouth. Still swallowing, she furrowed her brow. What were you going to tell me? I was going to tell you I called Mrs. Trombley, except she's now Mrs. Don Bates. She lives in Delaware, across the bay. Danny leaped into the pool again, splashing his sister. When he surfaced, he laughed as he treaded water, and Angie bolted with a towel toward the house. Mary Ellen pointed at him. Fifteen minutes, Dan! Oh, come on, Mom! You heard her, Mr. Fresco, said Cal in an authoritative voice. Danny pressed his lips, crawled from the pool into the side wicker chair as he folded his arms. Kel raised his brow. Sometimes you need the rough arm of the law. Mary Ellen smiled. What did Mrs. Bates say? Kel stared at her for a few seconds as if he were holding back. Well, Trombley used to play darts and meet his buddies on Tuesday nights. He ran into Sue Lee because she was the bartender. This was three years ago. Mrs. Bates caught Trombley with Sue Lee down at Sampson's Beach, late at night under the stars. They were, uh, well, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it matters. While they were, shall we say, fooling around on the beach. Trombley had four kids and was 39 years old. Sue Lee was 19. The important word, was. What about the car ramps? Now, this is where it gets interesting. Cops say he had the tire too far over on the lip of the ramp when he was working on his car. But Mrs. Bates swears. She swears that Sue Lee was involved. What makes her say that? She says her late husband was a perfectionist. He would have checked the position of the tire. What did she do, Kel? Come in and push the car over herself? She's in good shape, but she's not superwoman. At least I don't think she is. Kel leaned back in the wicker chair, slowly hoisted the lemonade and gazed over the bay. Listen, I haven't got anything substantial. I don't even have anything I could go to the local cops with, Mary Ellen. But I have a gut feeling, and my gut feeling tells me Sue Lee was responsible for that car falling on Trombley. Where was his house? Centennial Drive, number 48. Mrs. Bates sold the house within a few months after his death. What about the ramps? asked Mary Ellen. She has them. I'm going to see if I can personally look at them. Maybe she did something to the tire, Kel. Kel shook his head and twisted his lips. I don't know, but I saw the police report. The car fell on him. Mary Ellen clenched her fist and stood. Danny called out about going back in the pool. She waved him back, but didn't seem to notice when he did another cannonball. How do you arrange for a car to fall on somebody? I've been thinking about that for hours, and I just keep coming up short. I got a message into Rankin's wife, and that question will be, how do you arrange for a guy to fall off a jetty, bump his head on the rocks, and be swept out to sea? Sabotage the rocks so he slips. I have that report, too. There's nothing out of place. Damn, this is so frustrating. 
Listen, I have to get to work, but I'm going to take the next few days off. My advice to you, young lady, is to stay the hell away from Ms. Sue Lee. Kel's eyes were luminescent within his tanned, wrinkled face. She squeezed his hand. Maybe we're just imagining things because of what Tony did. He thought for a time and glanced at Danny before he looked back. I don't think so. Here's the thing. Sue Lee is very clever and secretive in her relationships with married men. That's a damn fact. About the only fact we have in this case. The other fact is that the two men she was seeing on the sly died in freak accidents. If she killed them, she executed the murders perfectly. Mary Ellen nodded and wrapped her arms over her chest. <laughs> You've convinced me. I won't confront her anymore. You already have with that voicemail routine. I know. person I need to confront is Tony when he comes back here on Thursday night. Beach House by R.P. Fitton Chapter 10 Several times Mary Ellen drove by Barnacle Bills but did not see the Mustang. Kel called and said he finally connected with Mrs. Rankin by phone, but she was reluctant to speak about her husband's untimely death. Although she never found Sue Lee with her husband, reports from the bar and a resort in the Poconos placed her husband with Sue Lee during a winter weekend getaway 18 months ago. Mrs. Rankin did not suspect Sue Lee was involved in Rankin's death, but she was sorry she hadn't resolved the affair before her husband died. Kel talked about driving to the Poconos. On Wednesday evening, Mary Ellen and Wilma brought the kids to a concert in the tent downtown. The kids seemed to like the music. As she scanned the group inside for Kel, her cell phone buzzed in her pocketbook. Hello? Mary Ellen, this is Sylvia. Mary Ellen's eyes popped open at the sound of her Tuppensburg neighbor's shrill voice. Sylvia, finally decided to spend a few days at Binghamton Beach? You what? I called the cops. What? Well, it all started two nights ago when I saw the car. Actually, Harold saw the car. Mary Ellen turned in the creaky wood chair and spoke in a lower voice. What car is this? That, uh, orange sports thing. Mustang? Her heart caught up with her emotions. An orange Mustang? Mary Ellen stood and told the kids she'd be back in a second. What was that car doing near my house? Well, I don't rightly know. Well, the first night the car keeps turning around in the cul-de-sac. That's when Harold got suspicious. We didn't call the police until tonight. Mary Ellen stopped under the tent flap near the support pole. The bright halogen lights atop the creosote-coated telephone pole lighted the grassy field. Did they get her? Get who? Sue Lee. Susie who? Why did you call the cops tonight? Asked Mary Ellen, standing between two of the tent support ropes. Harold told me to. I mean, why? The car. It was parked in your driveway for a good 15 minutes, and I know you're at Binghamton Beach for the summer, and Tony, he left for Seattle. So Harold asked, and rightly so, I might add, Well? It was gone when the cops got here. Did you see her? Did you? We didn't see no 
Well, then, did you get the plate number? Well, no. Harold didn't want me to go outside until the police got here. Never mind. Sylvia, you have to call me right away if you see that car again. Did the cops go in the house? Sylvia paused, probably afraid to tell Mary Ellen what she had done. I let them in. Is that all right? Yes, yes, that was the right thing to do. And did they find anything out of place? Mary Ellen closed her eyes and thought the jolting news might cause her to lose her footing. You did the right thing. Thank you, Sylvia. Oh, good. Harold and I, we were concerned we may have overstepped our authority. And I will call you if I see that car again. Uh, what was it, a mustard car? Mustang, said Mary Ellen, her eyes still closed. Oh, yeah, right, right. Everything is okay here, so don't you worry. Thank you. Good night. She stood rigid, gripping the phone as if she were going to crush it. She kept her eyes closed as the music rocked behind her and the warm bay breezes brushed her face and hair. Her first concern was Tony's safety and whether Sue Lee had arrived at the Tupperberg house to perform some act of sabotage resulting in Tony's accidental death. Mary Ellen. When she opened her eyes, Kel stood in his Orioles cap, jeans, and some brightly colored silkscreen emblazoned over his black jersey. Hey, are you all right, kiddo? No, no, I'm not all right at all, Kel. What's the matter? She threw her arms around him. His upper body was stronger than she had realized. That damn bitch is in Tuppersburg. My next-door neighbor just called the cops because the Mustang was in the driveway. That was the second night in a row Ms. Sue Lee was cruising the cul-de-sac. Oh, then they got her. Mary Ellen stepped back and put the cell phone back in her jeans pocket. No, of course not. She's too slick for that. What was she doing in Tuppersburg? I don't know. Oh, I know. She's trying to kill my husband is what she's trying to do. I don't want Tony setting foot in that house. I want him to fly directly to Binghamton Beach. Kel stroked his chin and glanced into the concert. And I'm calling the cops here and in Tuppersburg. No, no, let, let me handle this. She wanted to argue, but was eager to defer the responsibility. Things might be booby-trapped, but let's not talk about it. Why the hell not? It's pretty obvious what she's up to. Kel's tense eyes told her something else was afoot. I've been trying to open the two accidents as murder cases but I've been turned down flatly by Chief Hawkins in town. They can't see it. What these guys need is proof. She partially closed her eyes as she shook her head. How can this be allowed to go on, Kel? This woman is a murderer. We don't have absolute proof that she did kill those two guys, but I'm working on it. I do think it's a good idea to get Tony directly back here. I don't want to get a phone call saying he fell down the stairs and broke his neck. If she tries anything, I'll kill her myself. Chapter 11 Mary Ellen, determined to place her marriage back on course, waited alone inside the airport's tiny terminal west of town. She had not told Tony how the Tuppersburg police had searched the cul-de-sac house after reports of Sue Lee's car in the driveway. Kel spoke with Chief Hawkins in Binghamton Beach for only a few minutes, but his request to bring Sue Lee in for questioning went unanswered. Mary Ellen could not understand why Hawkins and the others seemed to take a natural dislike to Kel. Any theory or advice Kel had to offer was immediately rejected. 
Maybe Sue Lee didn't have the time to find a way to kill Tony back in Tuppersburg. With her husband not yet back from Seattle, Mary Ellen discounted any romantic rendezvous explaining Sue Lee's presence in Tuppersburg. A couple of times she parked the Escalade near Sue Lee's condo and waited for her orange Mustang to return from Pennsylvania. But Sue Lee's car never arrived, thwarting Mary Ellen's eagerness to confront her about the dog, Tuppersburg, and the passes she made at Tony. In the terminal, she spotted the tiny propeller-driven plane over the ocean north of town. The wings glided through the air currents, and the tiny white maroon plane finally dipped down toward the airfield. With the accumulating emotion about Sue Lee, an anxiety wave swept over Mary Ellen, and she prayed the aircraft would not crash. The engines grew louder as the spinning propellers buzzed, and when the plane landed, she searched for Tony inside the dark portal windows. The forward tires hit the runway first. The plane bounced, but the brakes stiffened, screeched, and the craft slowed to an eventual stop along the runway. She wanted to forget about what happened at the beach house last Sunday afternoon. The plane taxied on the asphalt, and her dark-haired husband waved through the plane's second oval window. Maybe Tony wanted Sue Lee out of his life. Tony never mentioned Sue Lee, and neither did Mary Ellen. Nor did she reveal Kell's theories about the two accidental deaths in Binghamton Beach. She even kept the Mustang sojourned to Tuppersburg from her husband as she glanced down at the assortment of mums and daisies Tony had purchased in the airport. A new revitalization swept through the relationship as she held her husband's hand. Tony turned to her as she drove past the tent downtown. Well, I wasn't going to tell you this. Sue Lee's round face and deep black hair flashed into her head. Tell me what? I did a lot of thinking when I was in Seattle. I called the company and told them I was going to take the next two weeks off to be with you guys at the beach house. Oh, come on, she smiled through misty eyes. What did your boss say? He extended his congratulations on the Seattle deal and said I can take as long as I want. She produced a lip smile and squeezed his hand. Tony, that's wonderful. That's great. Danny's going to be ecstatic. With baseball ending, he needs somebody to play ball with him. Well, sign me up. I'm ready to take the field. And you and I will get away for a few days. Maybe go up to Calvert County and stay at a bed and breakfast. How does that sound? Well, that sounds just great. She caught sight of Barnacle Bills, but did not mention how she had also cased the parking lot for the last few days. I never did anything with her. She looked into her husband's dark eyes. I just want to forget it. She was a lot of fun, great personality, but I never responded to her advances. Then she did try and lasso you in. Oh, she did? Yes, but I'm telling you, I told her I wasn't interested. Well, that's behind us now. Okay. As they moved past the downtown buildings, he seemed relieved she had not grilled him but she was still unsure whether the story was a cover. Kel's words about no man being able to resist Su Lee's charms continued to plague her. She made a bold attempt to obliterate any thoughts of Su Lee and a possible affair. Now was the chance for her to start over with Tony, and maybe this whole Su Lee thing might have a positive effect. Under the outside spotlights, with Danny's music rocking behind the waiting pool, Tony belted the volleyball into the darkness above the outside lights. Danny lunged to his right, leaped, and hit the ball straight up. 
Angie watched the ball spin upward and then slowly drop to the grass. Danny leaped to his feet and chided her for not trying to hit the ball. You let it drop! You let it drop! Oh, don't be so uptight! I hit the ball right to her! Cool it, Dan. You guys are still up by five points, said Tony. Come on, you get one more point and it's all over. Then we'll go inside and have some chocolate sauce and ice cream. Fattening, said Shane, bolting off the court. She moved through the kitchen sliders. Oh, good riddance, said Danny, and Tony smacked the ball again. Danny made another driving hit, this time sending the ball over the net to Mary Ellen. She slapped the ball to Tony. Tony swung his hand in the air, but the ball bounced against the net. She wondered as Danny cheered whether Tony had deliberately lost the game. Danny ducked under the net and Tony gave him a high five. Nice game, Dad. You really going to be here for two weeks? Yes, sir. You want to help me paint the house? Mary Ellen ruffled his hair. We'll see what the schedule's going to be. She looked at Tony and smiled as Danny ran across the patio to the kitchen sliders. I'm glad you're back. Tony put his arm around her as they walked together behind Shane to the sliders. It might be good for Danny to work with me painting. Well, I don't want him up on the ladder. No, said Tony, pulling open the slider. I'd keep him on the lower panels if he wants to. She stepped into the air-conditioned kitchen. Danny had already removed the white-striped ice cream tub out of the refrigerator. You don't waste any time, do you, hotshot? Bowls or plates, asked Tony, looking at the cabinets. Bowls, said Mary Ellen. The yellow light on the cell phone voicemail flashed like a ship's distress beacon. Her stomach fluttered and Sue Lee's weird musical lyrics resonated in her head. Chocolate slam ice cream, asked Tony, taking out the scoop. Mary Ellen kept staring at the pulsing light. I haven't had ice cream in months. This looks good, Mary Ellen. Yeah, she said, turning away, but it was as if the light had sent a wireless signal into her nervous system. She tried not to look at it. Chocolate Slam is a new flavor at Thompson's. I should charge you guys for soda fountain work, said Tony, scraping the chrome scoop into the creamy, solid ice cream. He plopped the first rounded chunk into Danny's dish. I want the whole thing, said Danny. Mary Ellen fought the temptation, but finally succumbed. Listen, maybe we can eat this out on the patio. It's too hot out there, said Danny. Oh, it's a nice summer's night. Oh, come on, Mom, said Shane. Yeah, come on, Mom, said Tony, continuing to scoop. Would she be so brazen as to put the music back on the voicemail again? Mary Ellen hugged Tony and smiled, but she was debating whether to tell Tony about the music and the Mustang back in Tuppersburg. Tony, we need to talk. Sure, sweetheart. We've got two weeks to talk about anything. One scoop enough? Yeah. Hey, Mom, there's somebody on your cell phone. Mary Ellen gulped and was about to call out, but Shane hit the playback button on the phone. She gripped the counter, and for a moment a hiss spewed through the speaker. Hi, Mary. This is the Summer Baseball League. We're just letting you know the final cookout is this Saturday at North Mary Ellen exhaled. Now, in response to your question, don't bother bringing anything. We have dogs and burgers. Plenty of soda. We'll see you there. Well, I'm looking forward to that, said Tony. You had a good season, didn't you, Danny? Yeah, I did all right. Yeah, he led the league in home runs. I wished I had seen more of his games. Then the music blasted out.
What was that? Song called, And Now You're Dead, said Tony. You listen to that, Mom? asked Shane. No, I don't. How do you know about that? asked Shane. Tony's face contorted and he stepped back from the counter. Excuse me, I'm going upstairs. I need some privacy. Mary Ellen looked deeply into his eyes for only a second as he passed and started down the front hall. He leaped up the stairs two at a time. She peered at the phone. Tomorrow she would switch numbers with the wireless company. Who would put that on Mom's voicemail? asked Shane. I don't know, said Mary Ellen. Tony had easily identified the music and then headed upstairs. Her hands tightened and she looked up the stairs, but she imagined Sue Lee leaving that message on her phone. Mom, can I have some more ice cream? asked Annie, the scoop in his hand. Sure. She wandered down the hall and gazed at the light bending around the second-floor carpet. Her throat tightened as she placed her foot on the stair runner. Something held her back from bounding up the stairs. All the doubts about Tony now resurfaced as she finally trudged up the stairs. Five steps away from the second floor, she heard Tony's voice from the third floor. His words were not clear, but his tone was defiant and booming. As she neared the third-floor staircase, the end of his conversation gave her hope. Just get out of my life! The ceiling shook when he slammed down the phone. She backed along the balustrade and retraced her steps to the first floor. Danny was now eating from the ice cream container. Daniel Fresco! Danny gripped a large spoon and chocolate ice cream rimmed his mouth. I told him, Mom, said Shane. Her hand shook as she retrieved a face cloth from the drawer and saturated the fabric under the running water. Tony's words were both confusing and frightening. Was he telling his lover never to call again, or was he telling a demented young woman to stay off his wife's voicemail and out of his life? Well, said Tony, appearing in the hall. His face was unusually tense. What do you say we see what's on TV tonight? Mary Ellen dragged the wet face cloth over the smudged chocolate on Danny's face. She wanted to confront him about Sue Lee. What do you suggest? Well, how about something classic? Classic is boring, said Shane. Where's Angie, asked Tony. I want this to be a family activity. Angie's in her room, listening to Girls' Night Out, said Danny. Mary Ellen set the face cloth on the counter. I hate Girls' Night Out. No comment, said Tony. Mary Ellen could see him looking in her direction. What would you like to see, Mary Ellen? She looked up with moist eyes and swallowed once. Whatever you want. Well, let's check and see what we have here. As he retreated into the family room, Mary Ellen slipped around the corner and opened the sliders. The outside air remained warm and the moon had risen over the bay. She knew Tony would follow her onto the patio. More than his potential involvement with Sue Lee, his scolding on the third floor phone confirmed the tramp had indeed left music on the voicemail. Mary Ellen clamped her arms over her chest and contemplated how far this woman would push. Mary Ellen, are you all right? asked Tony, poking his head through the sliders. Sure. 
He closed the slides behind her, and she felt his warming hands on her shoulders. You heard my phone call. Yeah, I heard it, she said, trying to hold back the tears. Listen, this woman is bad news. There's something about her that just won't stop. I don't want to hear this, Tony. I just want to forget it. He held her arms and slowly turned her in the moonlight. She came after... Tony, I'm doing my best, she said through the tears, to get through this, to move beyond this. I don't think I want to know anymore. She's not a normal person. I'm telling you, I'm innocent. I admit I was taken in by your personality at the restaurant, but I never invited her over here. Then she was over here. You were lying to me. I didn't want you to think that something else was going on, he said, releasing his grip. Am I supposed to believe you now? I saw the damn car in the driveway, and you made me look like a fool. She stomped across the patio, but he trailed her and grabbed her shoulders again. Leave me alone. Get your hands off me. Where else have they been? I'm telling you the truth. She came over here while I was painting, and she picked up a brush to help. I'm telling you that I repeatedly told her to leave. Then why didn't she? Because she's crazy. Tony's teeth crunched as he spoke. She kept painting, and I kept getting madder. So, what's the big secret? Why couldn't you tell me this? Because she puts down the brush about 15 minutes later. She has paint all over her shoulder. She takes off her top and heads around the house. I hear the outside shower going. How was I supposed to tell you this? You're telling me that this bitch was naked in my outside shower? Listen, I stayed out front. I just kept painting. She came out of the house later, maybe 15 minutes later. Mary Ellen folded her arms. Sue Lee had ample time inside the house to locate a set of keys. Well, I want you to know that she was in this house after you left, Tony. She had the keys to the house. All the locks were changed. I don't know if I believe you about being on the ladder. You keep changing your story, letting out bits and pieces. Tony clenched his fists. I'm telling you, it's the truth. And do you know that she was in our driveway in Tuppersburg? Sylvia called me. The police have been involved. How would she get our address? There's more going on here, Tony. You were making love to that woman. No. She stormed along the pool and onto the scrub brush trail. Her shadow followed the stark silver moonlight on the bushes as Tony moved behind her. She reached the sand a few seconds later, sliding as she marched parallel to the cracking waves offshore. Tony remained a distance behind her, but when she stopped, he ran across the sand and held her. She released the tears and didn't stop as her arms locked around his chest. Her thoughts were muddled in the frenzy. Making judgment about his confession was ludicrous. Maybe it was time to close up the beach house and go home to Tuppersburg. Chapter 12 at the glass patio table, Mary Ellen squeezed the clear cup filled with black coffee. A sleepless night exacerbated her insecurity and exaggerated the Sue Lee threat. Tony had said nothing last night as he walked her back to the house and apologized later. She carried a quilt to the third floor couch. At first she drifted off, but suddenly woke near midnight, her heart racing in anxiety pushing against her skin. She crossed the third floor positioned her arms on the window ledge, and for the next five hours, 
stared at the whitecaps across the bay. If only he had admitted Su Lee was at the house Sunday afternoon. She feared that her marriage to Tony was over. Tony had made overtures toward her during breakfast, but she remained silent and retreated outside. He mentioned taking the kids into town later after he finished some painting. Mary Ellen watched him lift the long aluminum ladder over his shoulder and head out front. She wanted to leave and leave soon. Binghamton Beach, a summer retreat once so dear to her heart, was now an open wound. She only wished she had the opportunity to confront Sue Lee directly. Mary Ellen sat rigid in the vinyl chair and rolled the small rocks in the sand with her toes. Shane lay asleep on the blanket, and Danny played with friends in the water. Angie was over at Susan Wells' house for the day. For two hours, Mary Ellen weighed the possibilities of divorce and how her kids would be affected by a breakup. What Tony did with Sue Lee was not easily forgiven. The kids would need therapy and would see Tony only during visitation time. The thought of going through a divorce trial scared her. Numerous sailboats sliced the bay's deep blue waters as jet skis and faster craft crossed closer to shore. Tony had always talked about getting a boat, but sailing these waters seemed as improbable as her future with him. She took in the salt air and checked the enclosed phone booth back at the concession stand. She was afraid to carry her cell phone, lest she get another new message. Even without her cell phone, in ten minutes she could easily book a flight back to Philadelphia. In two hours, they could be on that connecting flight. In six hours, she could have arrived home in Tuppersburg. Wispy strands of black hair appeared near the colored surfboards lined up against the cinderblock wall. Sue Lee, sporting a red bikini, strutted toward the north end of the beach. Shane, I'll be right back. What? I'm going to the concession. I'll be right back. Watch your brother. Shane nodded and put her head down on the towel. Mary Ellen clenched her fists and skidded across the hot sand. Sue Lee's tiny form blended into the parking lot haze as she gravitated toward the mass of cars across the beach. Mary Ellen kicked up the loose sand as the sun cooked her skin, and she breathed rapidly near the barrier fence. Sue Lee! Sue Lee stopped but did not immediately turn. It was as if she knew Mary Ellen was running along the fence. She had a coy smile across her thin lips when she did turn, and her perfect form was only enhanced by the sheen of her midnight hair. Are you calling me? Mary Ellen caught her breath as she crossed the street. Yeah, I'm calling you. You're out of shape. Shut up. You have a lot of balls telling me to shut up, lady. She moved closer to Mary Ellen as the night sin mixed with the sultry salt air. Then why don't you just stay the hell away from my husband? Where's my dog, you slut? Nobody calls me a slut, she said, grabbing Mary Ellen's windbreaker. You're as frumpy as he described you. My husband would never say that. Sully released her grip and rolled back her lips as she spoke slowly. You'd be surprised what your husband would say and do. Liar! I can't help it if Frumpy can't hold on to her man and he goes out seeking fresh game. You're in my shower. You're in my bed. Your husband, he likes soap rubbed all over his body. Mary Ellen raised her hand to strike her face, but Sue Lee moved quickly, caught her wrist, and wrapped her muscular leg around Mary Ellen's knee. With her other hand, she pinched Mary Ellen's chin. 
Her dark eyes were fiery and her teeth perfect and white. He's mine. Su Li walked briskly to the Mustang, parked along the stockade fence, and smiled as she opened the door. She started the loud engine and backed out fast enough to trace the tires across the surface. In a few seconds, she had raced around the lot and swerved out the front entrance. Mary Ellen stumbled and hit the hot tar as she slowly sat up. Her hands were stinging and red, but she managed to stand. She inched her way to the street and headed back to the beach. Tony unexpectedly appeared by the lifeguard chair and jogged up the beach. Mary Ellen grit her teeth as the Mustang rounded the bend near the tidal ponds. Damn you! Damn you! Several people on the beach looked up, and Tony, still wearing his painting shorts and tank top, called out, Mary Ellen, what were you doing on the street? Her face flushed and she choked out the words, What's the problem? Her! She was just here! She threatened me and called me frumpy! Sound familiar? What? She told me how she used the shower and how you like to have the soap rubbed on your body. That's sick. Oh, forget about her. Oh, just like that. Yes, the reason I came down here was to tell you I'd call Bromby's Cafe and they're sending quiche and an entire meal at five. She closed her eyes and formed a fixed grin. Don't you think you're a little late, Tony? You think you're just going to pick everything up like nothing ever happened? Well, that's bullshit. I'm out of here, and I'm out of this marriage. Wait, he said, grabbing her arm. I haven't done anything wrong. Maybe in your head, but I'm booking a plane out of here right now, and I'm taking the kids. Oh, no. God, no. You should have thought of that before you dropped your drawers. She stomped across the burning sand again, seeking shelter below the concession overhang. Tony remained staked in the sand, his hands on his hips as she lifted the payphone and punched in 411. I want Delta Airlines number. She removed a pen from her pocket and jotted down the Delta number on a grocery sales receipt. Tony moved behind the cinder blocks. She hesitated, but the image of Sue Lee naked in the shower snapped back into her head. Mary Ellen pushed the toll-free number. The time had come to leave Binghamton Beach. Back in the chair, the sun having passed behind her, Mary Ellen stared at the magazine and then threw it in her plastic beach basket. Danny was busy near the incoming tide, constructing a huge sandcastle with his friends as Shane stood past her knees in the water and talked to several of her girlfriends. Mary Ellen leaped back in the chair and studied the clouds smattered several thousand feet above her. Each elongated cloud merged with its rotating, swirling partner and formed new, more elaborate patterns. She imagined a puffy cheek angel blowing the wind across the sky. Penny for your thoughts, said Cal, his Orioles hat silhouetted against the sun a few feet away. Mary Ellen shielded her eyes. Cal, we're leaving Binghamton Beach at six o'clock. Do your kids know this? No, they don't. Think you're jumping the gun, kiddo. I talked to Tony on the ladder no more than an hour ago. He swears he never came on to her, nor did any uh, funny stuff. Sure. He was supposed to uh, come over here, said Cal, sitting down in the sand. Oh, he came over here with that dinner routine. Did you tell him to do that? No, I didn't. Well, it's over. You're not going anywhere said Kel, 
She crossed her arms. Oh, really? And just who the hell are you telling me that? He leaned closer than he ever had, and his tone was harsh. Someone who thinks this woman was after your husband and couldn't get to him. So she kept after him, broke into your house, and tried to make him look bad with the perfume in the bed and the damn music. I confronted her. You did? And she grabbed me and pushed me to the pavement. I hate her. And I hate what she's done to my marriage. Any witnesses? No. There never is. I'm going to go talk to Hawkins. Kel squinted and his lips almost touched. Listen, I have some preliminary stuff I've been working on. Seems that nine years ago, Sue Lee was involved with this older guy. She was only 14. The guy was 33. I know he dumped her, but I don't know what else happened. Kel, I don't care anymore. Suppose he was the first victim. I'm trying to track down his address. Good. You have fun. We're leaving. Give me a couple of hours. I'm going to put an end to her shenanigans real fast. I told you. I don't care. I don't care about Trombley. I don't care about Rankin. Maybe she did something. Maybe she didn't. Go investigate it. My marriage is over. Kel bit his lower lip and stood. His thatched green eyes were bold as he spun in the sand. She closed her eyes and didn't want him to leave. Why had she let her anger spill onto him? Tension tightened in her temples as she sprang from the chair and marched down to the ocean. Cold, salt water rushed up the berm and soothed her tired feet. Kel was doing his best to save the marriage, and she couldn't fault him for that. She wandered deeper through the waves as they broke near shore and stood in the chill water up to her thighs. No matter what Kel said, the facts hadn't changed. She shook her head, but resentment with Tony wouldn't go away. He had failed the relationship, his kids, and he had let her down. Mom, said Danny, washing the sand off his hands. Can we go home now? We're going home, Danny. Chapter 13 Mary Ellen had doubts as she drove the Escalade slowly through the two rock towers at the Hazelton entrance. Maybe Kel was right. She should give Tony another chance and look into Sue Lee's past. Something about Sue Lee aroused an intense anger. She was intrigued by the link between Sue Lee and married men. Finding out the truth about Sue Lee and possible links to murder would bring her to justice. She rounded the bend onto Durango Street, near Wilma's Red Ranch, and drove through the thicket toward the beach house. Dandy continued a chorus that he had begun back at the concession about being hungry. She reached the top of the hill but applied the brakes quickly. A black Binghamton Beach police cruiser, blue lights flashing, blocked the road. More cruises and Kel's security car were parked along the grass and in her gravel driveway. Her heart pounded as one of the offices raced toward the Escalade. Mrs. Fresco? What happened? I think you should step outside here, ma'am, he said, looking at the kids in the back seat. She left the engine running and burst out the door, trotted along with her until they reached the cruiser, and an assortment of amplified voices blasted over the police radios. Your husband, he uh, had an accident. Oh, God. She did it. She finally did it. He, uh, he fell from the ladder. I'm sorry. We found him dead. As she ran from the cruiser, she spotted the ladder still propped against the beach house wall, adjacent to the garage. Kel turned from the other offices and jogged up the gravel driveway. Tony! Tony! 
Kel darted like a defensive lineman after the quarterback and placed his hands on her shoulders as she struggled on the loose stones. Over his shoulder, a green plastic body bag was draped on the garage cement like a FedEx delivery. A dented silver paint bucket lay in front of a huge pool of white stain splattered on the concrete. The wide paintbrush had fallen onto the gravel. Come on, Mary Ellen, let's get you out of here. No, no, Tony! There's nothing we can do right now. She did it. You know she did it, Kel. We don't know anything. The ladder is up there. There's nothing wrong with the ladder. I think he just fell. Oh, God, no. She flipped her head wildly as Kel shook her. It's all my fault. I should have listened to him. I should have listened to you. His muscles tensed and he physically dragged her down the driveway. Danny was now out of the car. Danny, get back inside. What's the matter, Kel? Just get back in the car. He turned to the officer at the cruiser. Can somebody get her neighbor, Mrs. Blumenthal? Okay, Kel. Something happened to Dad, said Danny. Kel tightened his eyes, but Mary Ellen broke his grip and sprinted away. She pivoted at the driveway and did not attract the attention of the cop until she was within 15 feet of the body bag. A husky guy with a blonde crew cut leaped away from the other cops and halted her progress. My husband! I'm sorry, Mrs. Fresco. Mary Ellen looked up the aluminum ladder, splattered with white stain. That ladder was sabotaged. What? I'm telling you, she did something to it. Mary Ellen closed her eyes. The strain was pushing her endurance to the limit. My husband would not fall off a ladder. I just talked to him on the beach. Cop pointed to the ladder. Well, it's an aluminum ladder designed to uh, hold somebody that weighs 300 pounds. And it's held together with metal rivets. I hear you. I'm sorry, Mrs. Fresco. He must have lost his uh, footing. There's nothing wrong with that ladder. Another cop moved down the driveway. Mrs. Fresco, we've located your neighbor, Mrs. Blumenthal. She'll take your uh, children to the house, and I just parked a car off the road. He handed the car keys to Mary Ellen. She gripped the keys and stared at the body bag. Somehow she wanted to tell him that she loved him. Going back to Tuppesburg was just an angry reaction to what happened last Sunday. Why don't you let Officer Grinwald here take you to your neighbor's house? She turned away from Tony's body and started with Grinwall down the driveway, but she stopped and faced the older officer. I need to tell you about a woman who broke into my house. Cal skidded from the Binghamton police station lot for three hours, even after he had stopped Mary Ellen from screaming into Sue Lee's voicemail and sent her and the kids on the propeller plane back to Philadelphia. He pleaded with Hawkins to bring Sue Lee down to the station. Hawkins had no real evidence to legally bring her in and question her. The chief knew Kell's record in Buffalo and how he was reprimanded and forced into an early retirement for not having evidence. Kell was convinced he was right in that case eight years ago, and now he was even more certain that Sue Lee liked to get involved and murder married men. Hawkins told him to go back to his trailer. Kell pictured every inch of the ladder as he drove under the streetlights toward Barnacle Bill's. He checked that ladder, and the cops had checked it. The ladder was covered with white stain drips, but structurally intact. As he braked for the Conclave Road, he was also certain that Sue Lee had killed Tony, but he just couldn't figure out how she did it. He gnashed his teeth as he marched to the door and thought of the sedated Mary Ellen leaving on the plane. The kids were hysterical. 
He yanked back the restaurant door and his eyes caught Sue Lee. She wore a tight pink top, blue shorts, and set two beers on the counter. Kel stormed past the patrons as she smiled and pushed back her long hair. She did not spot him till he was almost at the end of the bar. If she had heard about Tony's death, she never showed it on her smooth face. Mr. Kel, you low-life bitch. Hey, watch it, pops, said a stocky guy to his right. She never flinched and spoke in a calm voice. This is a public place. What are you, high? Oh, you're good. You're the best. Kel pointed at her and leaned between the two guys at the bar. I don't care how long it takes. You might as well have set your talons on me, because I'm not going to rest until I prove what you did. I don't understand. She swiped the counter clean and moved from behind the bar. Is there something wrong? Kel stared into her dark eyes. I'm telling you, you're sick. That man was married, and his kids are devastated right now. Are you talking about Tony Fresco? How did you do it? You seem to think I have these magical powers, she said. I'm sorry that he's dead. I enjoyed talking with him. He was an entertaining man, and I'm sorry for his kids. Yeah, I bet you are. Did you distract him like you did on Sunday? Maybe that's all you really wanted to happen. Maybe you took off your top and marched around the ladder. Except I talked to their neighbor. You smartened up this time. Your car wasn't out there today. Cut the bullshit, Kelly. I didn't kill anybody. Why don't you leave before I call the manager? I have to get back to work. Kel watched her shapely torso as she tiptoed behind the bar. She moved up to a couple of women on the side and took orders for drinks. He staggered back and found a seat in the booth. He ordered a beer from one of the waitresses and wondered if his presence here would rattle Sue Lee. In his imaginary scenario, Tony was dipping his brush into the bucket hooked onto the ladder. Maybe she arrived from out back along the dock trail, or she could have parked the car further down the development. He would question everyone in Hazleton until he was sure she did not drive the Mustang into the development. Just one witness would prompt Hawkins to begin the investigation. He stared at her relentlessly, but she had the discipline never to gaze across the bar. She knew he was there, and she knew he was aware that she killed Tony and the other men. The murder handle was exactly the same. He thought back to Trombley under the car. Even if she had distracted Trombley, her presence, no matter how alluring and captivating, would not cause the car to collapse off the ramp. How could she hide tampered ramps from the police and the investigators? He downed the rest of the beer and ordered a second mug. What about Rankin? Getting him out on that jetty wouldn't require any elaborate planning, but making him fall into a surging ocean and drown was masterful. He started on the other beer. Each of the men who died was at risk. Rankin stood by a raging sea. Trombley was under a car, and Tony was 30 feet up on a ladder. Sabotaging the rocks, the map, and the ladder was the only answer. Chapter 14 Kell had promised Mary Ellen at the funeral he would purge the perishables from the refrigerator and pack the things on a list that she had emailed him from Tuppersburg. At the funeral, the drugs made her appear stoic. Danny was with Mary Ellen's sister, but the two girls stood beside her, caught in a wave of tears as the casket was wheeled into the church. Kell kept thinking about the other deaths. Although he could not find answers, he decided to pursue the lead about Sue Lee's lover from nine years ago. Early, the day after Tony was buried, Kell drove slowly through Binghamton Beach's quaint downtown and signaled for a space next to Bradbury's hardware. 
Two days ago, he met an old guy combing the beach for money with a metal detector. They talked about Tony's death, and he remembered Sue Lee. The guy told him a man named Ronnie Chico dated Sue Lee briefly years ago, but the relationship went sour. Kel dropped a quarter in the meter and looked up at Bradbury's orange and green sign. Rows of shiny new lawnmowers were perfectly aligned along the clear sheet glass windows. He pulled open the aluminum frame door and stepped into a building bulging with stock and pegboard line aisles. The buzz of a key machine and the whirling of overhead fans were punctuated with the occasional ring of an old-fashioned mechanical cash register. Kel checked his notebook and pen as he headed toward a hefty man with black-rimmed glasses behind the counter. Hey, how you doing? You, uh, Ronnie? asked Kel. Not unless Ronnie's put on a hundred pounds. He had a pack of cigarettes in his shirt pocket and probably wanted to smoke one right now. You want to talk to Ronnie? Please. Ronnie, got people out here. Thanks, said Kel, holding his notebook. He glanced around the store and scanned the tools on the rear wall pegboard, but two yellow car ramps caught his eye in the first aisle. Hey, uh, Joe, see those car ramps? Yeah, what about them? How well are they constructed? asked Kel. Oh, those babies are from cast steel. You have to put a building on them. Hell, I couldn't even crush them. What are you, a reporter from one of them consumer magazines? No. Kel headed down the aisle and leaned over. He grabbed both sides of a heavy-gauge steel ramp. The likelihood of such a ramp collapse was remote. What the hell's with the notebook? Before Kel could answer, a lanky man with buzz blonde hair ducked his head around the back entrance. He carried a small white box with a large blue stock number on the side. Hey, what's happening? Ronnie, my name is Walter Kelly. Uh, can I speak with you for a couple of minutes? Sure, what are you selling? I need to ask you a few questions. Ronnie looked at Joe, and then Joe raised his bushy brows. Hey, I need to step outside and have a butt anyways. Ronnie smiled as Joe waddled toward the front door. What can I do for you, Walter? Sue Lee. A slow smile covered his face. Sue Lee, she mentioned me? No. It was a lot of years ago we went out. She after you? She likes uh, older men. Cal leaned on the counter. She's not after me, but she was after a friend of mine, married man. Ronnie shook his head, but his thoughts seemed distant. What do you want to know? Cal pushed his lips together. He gestured with his pen as he spoke. Nine years ago, uh, she was just a young kid. She went out with an older man. Edward Latrobe, guy from Long Island. He was uh, maybe 45. She was, oh God, she couldn't have been more than... You're talking child rape. So Lee told you all this? Yeah, but I haven't talked to Sue in maybe a year. I don't hang out at Barnacle Bills anymore. I have a wife and kids. Sue Lee's not the kind of woman you want to bring home to your kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, said Kel. So this guy was involved with her. You're right, he would have been ruined. He had money. He was a banker in New York City. He promised Sue that he'd marry her when she got old enough, but he was just using her. Where is he now? Hell, must be still in New York, I think Long Island. That was just one summer in this guy's life, but she really loved him. Kel tucked the notebook in his pocket. Latrobe's name was not going to readily leave his consciousness. She must have been pretty angry. Yeah, I don't blame her. This guy was a creep. But she kept coming back here every summer with her father. He was older, 
And she had a brother, smart kid. He was odd. Geek. Kel squinted and thought about the Mustang and the dealer insignia on the back. Where did she live? Ronnie's mouth turned downward and he exposed his yellow teeth. Gee, I don't know. I just know she always came down here every summer. Her father was kind of quiet. Spoke with an accent. Pretty sure he worked in a factory or a shop. Very polite. Did uh, Suli go to school, I mean to college? He asked as Joe moved back inside the hardware store. She settled here. The father died a few years back. She's worked at Barnacle Bill's since she was 15 or 16. She was a nice girl, Walter, but there was always something behind those dark eyes. Mystery. Very exciting. I don't regret any of the time I spent with her. Thanks for the info, said Kel as Joe squeezed behind the counter. Kel shook his hand and his blue eyes focused for the first time. Walter, you just be careful. Kel shook his head. I will. So, who the hell's going to unload those tools over there? Said Joe as Kel turned and started to the front door. He tried to form a picture of this middle-aged Edward Latrobe having a wild summer fling with an underage girl. Supposed to unload that stuff, Joe, said Ronnie as Kel opened the door and stepped onto the sidewalk. He looked down a row of parking meters extending to the beach parking lot. Kel googled Edward Latrobe's name on Long Island. The computer swept through some internal program on a faraway database. He stood, grabbed his cold, dew-laden bottle of beer, and leaned out the trailer window. High above, the osprey surveyed the bay. With its wings spread, it looked more like a hawk than a seabird. He looked back to the computer. Matches for the name Edward Latrobe from Long Island lined up on the screen. He gulped a mouthful of cold beer and hurried back to the monitor. Six matches were assembled by the site. Methodically, he checked the listings. He had nearly finished the beer when he found an Edward Latrobe at East Hampton, Long Island. If this guy was still alive, and sometimes the site never picked it up, he would have been 72 years old. Maybe Su Lee had spared this man. He lifted the beer bottle and drained the remaining liquid into his mouth. His fingers danced across his cell phone with Latrobe's number. The line shifted and rang. A young woman, out of breath, answered the phone. Hello? Yes, uh, Mr. Latrobe, please. Excuse me? Is your father there? Is this granddad? Is your uh, father there? My father died eight years ago when I was six years old in a hunting accident in Vermont. Now Kel was anxious. Uh, I'm so sorry. I must have the wrong Latrobe. Okay. I, I am sorry. He slowly placed the phone back in his pocket and pushed the chair back. He formed images of Sue Lee hoisting a high-powered rifle butt against her shoulder and placing the unsuspecting Latrobe within the crosshairs. The shots must have echoed throughout the forest when he went down. She had repaid him for the heinous things he had done to her, and she began a series of murders over the next eight years. He pushed open the trailer door and stepped into the beach sand. The osprey was out of sight now, no doubt having snatched its prey from the bay waters and returned to the high nest above the beach marshes. Proving Sue Lee was in Vermont nine years ago would be as useless as proving that she was near Trombley's garage when the car fell off the ramps. He needed to concentrate on Tony's death and how she booby-trapped that ladder. He didn't lock the trailer as he pushed his sneakers into the sand and meandered up the beach. The rock-piled jetty where Rankin had slipped into the sea looked like a giant finger pointing into the bay. 
moving the rocks around prior to his arrival would assure the slippage. He dismissed anything else as pure coincidence, and as he neared the jetty, stepped onto the large granite boulders. She had the strength and will to set it all up. Rankin probably trusted her. He may even have loved her. She could have promised him anything to get out on the rocks. Prearranged rocks would have tumbled into the sea, taking Rankin with them, and no one would ever have known. The surf hit the lower green-glazed rocks less than ten feet below. Kel backed toward the water and studied the extended granite stones stacked toward the point. During high tide, another five rocks, maybe more, were covered. To precisely bring Rankin to the point where she had dislodged the rocks, just like the ramp collapsing and Tony falling off the ladder, seemed impossible. Kel stroked his unshaven chin and squinted into the morning sun. The surf hit the rocks every ten or fifteen seconds, supplemented by the outer breakers unraveling like falling dominoes up Binghamton Beach. The gulls, gliding across the sky, cried out as Kel positioned himself on the upper rocks. Salty air entered his lungs and he gazed towards Sabin's Island for the osprey. He leaned his elbows on his propped knees and was beginning to sense that Su Lee had some surrealistic invincibility or pure luck. No one, especially the police, had questioned the other three deaths, and no one assumed foul play in Tony's death. With Tony's death, Kel establishes that all three men linked to Su Lee died in weird accidents. Mary Ellen is convinced that Su Lee killed Tony on that ladder but the police see no evidence of a crime. Mr. Fitton, a telephone call for you. Thank you. This is Robert Fitton. You never cared about the night scene. You wanted me to get out on phase. You should have left me alone. Should have left me alone. And now you're dead. 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 Important call, Mr. Fitton. Wrong number. Hey, uh, I'm boarding the uh, plane out of Binghamton Beach. Have a nice day. My books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.